0: Is the product work? Is it fit for purpose? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, is yeah. it is it delivering the goods in terms of what we want it to do? You know, you can think about all those other things, but if it's not fit for purpose, you're going to fail, so to speak, in terms of your sustainability effort. So that's a lot. It's complex, Yeah. you know, and you have to have like the tools and the right people to ask the right questions with the right data availability to make good decisions. And that's a battle we, we fight every day.
1: Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you can join me again. Hope you're having a great week out there and, and doing well. My guest today is Kevin Brady. Uh, Kevin is a management consultant, author, and educator. And he's just got a great background on sustainability. In fact, he's he founded a company uh going on almost 10 years ago now called Sustainable Enterprise Consulting. And uh, they help companies, industry associations, investors, and entrepreneurs make more sustainable choices. He's also an adjunct professor at Carleton University School of Industrial Design and he teaches a course on sustainability and design. And what's really cool about Kevin is 25 years ago, he founded a company called Five Winds International, which we'll talk about for sure. But can you imagine 25 years ago was one of the world's most experienced sustainable management consulting firms. So really early on days, Kevin, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Paul. Pleasure to be here.
1: How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. You know, it's uh, February, February doldrums, are uh, <laughs> not getting me too down. So
1: good, good. And where are you? Where are you talking to us from today?
0: I'm based uh, outside of Ottawa, in Canada, in the Quebec side, a little town in the in the country called Lusville.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Sounds like a nice place. <laughs> Maybe not in the uh, winter. <laughs> a little well, tough winter, but.
0: It, we're actually pretty lucky with with uh, all the things with covid etc we live right in the edge of a big forested area so uh yeah it was a good place to be over the last couple of years
1: sounds nice sounds nice well kevin let's talk a little bit about how you got started in this whole thing
0: sure so uh as you as you pointed out it was a long time ago i my undergraduate de- degree is in biology and i got that at the university of victoria out in british columbia and the mid-1980s. And when I was studying biology in British Columbia at that time, there was a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict between industry and environmentalists, particularly over logging, but also other industrial activities that was having impacts on the beautiful natural environment that they have out there. And I studied with a lot of dedicated people who were concerned about environmental issues and sustainability. And, you know, their jobs were going and counting things that were disappearing to a certain degree. And uh, (laughs) I was looking for something else. I was looking for a more optimistic, hopeful approach. And I sort of landed on the idea that working with industry directly to help improve the practices was the best way that I could contribute. So I pursued that educationally. I did a master's degree in environmental studies where I looked at law and economics. And I started to really study business to understand the jargon and and processes and the decision-making that occurs. And I joined an organization which resulted in my master's thesis called the Ontario Roundtable on Economy and the Environment. And that brought together leaders from banking and labor and non-governmental organizations, government people to discuss you know how do we create a more sustainable economy i did a paper on indicators of sustainable development for the ontario economy where i looked at agriculture and energy and manufacturing and started to think about okay well how do we how do we create value but have less impact less burden in these processes and that led to uh, environment canada Uh, which is the Federal Ministry of Environment in Canada, where I worked on, again, not regulatory stuff, but really on transparency and reporting, and then on solutions. So how can we reduce packaging waste going to landfill? How can we get industry to think more about the life cycle of their products? You know, at those days we were uh, pipes and stacks kind of approach, right? You know, we weren't really thinking about the upstream materials going into our products as much as we need to. And we weren't thinking about the use phase and the end of life as much as we need to, except, you know, when we had toxic materials that needed to be handled or dealt with. So I did that work. Uh, that led to a job where I was an advisor on sustainable production and consumption. And again, working with industry to identify, okay, what are the concepts, what are the tools that industry should be using to make improvements and do that you know from a kind of doing well doing good perspective making money but also reducing your impact that led me to work in the international standardization iso world and there i met my future business partners so i met a Gentleman Conrad Sauer, who was a PhD engineer and had a lifecycle company. I met Jim Fava, who was working at the time for a company called Roy F. Weston and had a, a great industrial base of clients interested in LCA lifecycle assessment issues. And then we had another partner, Steve Young, who was a PhD metallurgist. And we started a conversation in the ISO process. So, and that conversation was, was about, you know, can we focus more on products as opposed to sites and can we help businesses improve by working on products and products are you know they it was a great focal point right because that's what companies sell um, that's what the customers buy and it's much more relatable than talking about emissions from the from the factory and uh, that was the start of a beautiful 12 years with five Winds international where we worked with you know, some of the leading multinational companies in the world and also some people that had hit a wall to help them improve their products. And uh, it was a great journey. And we were on the crest of a wave and that company morphed into a, a more of a software play. And then I hung up my own signal and started focusing on the corporate strategy work. So uh, a little bit long winded there, Paul, but that's, that's kind of how I came to what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, that's great. But I find it fascinating. You know, it's, it's, sustainability is really picking up a lot of momentum now regulatory uh, implications companies wanting to be recognized as doing something the consumers who are putting pressure on it uh, the global geopolitical there's a lot of things now but but back then it's it's a little bit refreshing to hear that there were some big companies who were at least uh, at least trying to focus on it
0: yeah there my observation at the time was there's, there were sort of four types of companies that were thinking about sustainability in a proactive way. I had the great benefit of doing a study mission to Sweden and the Netherlands to look at companies that were on the cutting edge of, of this at the time. You know, we met with a number of companies and we also had this cadre of US-based companies that were interested and some European leaders. And our sort of analysis was, Leadership mattered. So companies that consider themselves leaders in their sector, so BASF and chemicals, Rio Tinto and mining at the time, Unilever and consumer products, these companies uh, took on broader responsibility under the mantle of their leadership responsibilities, right? The other type of company that we saw were family-owned businesses. So these companies, the Johnson group of companies in Wisconsin, you know, they just, they just had an ethic that came from family values and they took responsibilities to their employees and their communities a bit differently than other companies. They weren't purely profit motivation because their family reputations were tied up with the company and the products that they make. The, the third type of company were funnily enough were companies that had got it all wrong. So they went into chapter 11 bankruptcy in the state. So uh, these are companies like Armstrong that had a problem with uh, asbestos and ceiling tiles, okay. uh, Dow Corning that had the issue with breast implants. And as part of the reorganization under the chapter 11 uh, bankruptcy process uh, was, you know they had to show that they weren't gonna do it again that they weren't gonna get offside. So a number of them focused on sustainability as a better way to think about their products so that they wouldn't make those kind of mistakes again. And then finally, and this is rarer for sure, there was a the kind of a CEO epiphany. So the biggest example that people may have heard of was Ray Anderson at Interface Flooring. So uh, he was a CEO that, you know, self-admitted plunder of the earth, uh, not really concerned about, concerned about environmental issues at all until he had to give a talk on environmental issues to the company meeting, yearly annual meeting, a whole company basically attending. And uh, somebody gave him a book called The Ecology of Commerce, which was written by another business person named Paul Hawken. And that book changed his life. Changed his company. He saw that there's a different way of doing things. He brought Paul in as an advisor. He bought uh, what he called the dream team of experts, people like Amory Lovins on energy and, and others to help interface reorganize itself around the principles of sustainability and eco efficiency, uh, which was a popular concept at the time, which basically meant, you know, make more value with less burden, as I was saying earlier. So those are the four types of companies. And the rest of what we're seeing today really didn't start to grow until around the mid-2000s, 2008. GE put a big program in, Eco Imagination Program, and they did a big global consultation with stakeholders around what was important, what kind of products they needed to, to be making, and they heard back cleaner energy, better water products, healthcare, these sorts of things. So they they invested a lot of money. And when they did that at the time, you know, GE was a player. And then when the CEO of GE said, we're gonna do this, it got the attention of a lot of other people. And then the other one, funnily enough, it was Walmart. So Walmart said, you know, we're gonna do this and we're gonna bring our supply chain along. And whether companies were believing or interested in sustainability didn't matter anymore because their largest customer was asking them to care about it and and they to their credit they did a lot to drive performance forward what's different today is the investors so what we've seen over the last five years or so was something that we always talked about in the old days but you know if we could get capital money interested in driving performance forward then things would really start to change and that's really ramped up over the last five years. And you got people like Larry Fink at BlackRock and other major investment funds, trillions and trillions of dollars under uh, management, saying, hey, tell us about your environmental and social risks. Tell us about how you're managing those. Tell us about your product systems and how you're managing your products responsibly. Uh, not only in how you manufacture them, but how they're used, where they go, and what materials are going into it? So, yeah, it's it's different times. I mean, it was tough, you know, yeah. to get people interested. I mean, uh, sometimes you know we, we talk about sustainability and and people equate it with uh, you know radical socialism or something. Where we were just saying, you make products with less less materials, less pollution. You're gonna make more money. You're gonna uh, attract better partners. You're gonna have happier employees. Your, rep- your reputation's gonna be good. All these great benefits, you know, to to us, it was just logical, but it changes hard, you know, and and getting people to do things a different way, input new data and information into their business processes. It takes a, it's an art as much as the science.
1: Well said, well said. We had a guest last year, Daniel Elizalda. He's very connected with the the Silicon Valley and and Stanford and, and whatnot. And he said that his observation was that all of the vc money is really going into energy clean energy efficient right all of that so to your point of where's the money it is definitely in uh, environmental uh issues for sure
0: yeah yeah and i've talked to a few investors and you know i've asked them how real this is you know because you,
1: mm. you know,
0: um and certainly there are esg funds out there that are kind of jumping on the bandwagon and, and, and trying to look better than they actually are but there's a cadre of serious investors that are asking really tough questions and the quote i got back from one of them says this has gone from a last page item in the investor presentations to front page
1: wow wow so, great quote <laughs> i'm glad to hear that there's some serious they're being serious about it. There was a lot of skepticism out there still. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, we've heard all the words of greenwashing and, and, and all of that. And there's a lot of skepticism, but it, it does feel like it's turning now. Uh, still have a ways to go, but uh, it feels like it's turning. Yeah,
0: Yeah, we always have to be diligent, I think. One of the exercises I'm doing right now with my students is having them look at environmental, social sustainability claims, that are being mm. made by manufacturers in the marketplace and then doing a, a bit of due diligence to see, you know, do those claims match the actual issues with the product? So look at, you know, lifecycle studies and other research on the product and the product system and see, are they telling the full story? And, you know, the outcome of that analysis is yes, they're telling the, r- the right story or mm-hmm. no, they're they're leaving some things out, right? And with the new digital world and, and transparency, if you leave stuff out, you're gonna get caught. And, you know, we've had some classic examples of that in the past. You know, Dell Computer came out with a footprint of their computers uh, a long time ago, and the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, or the Washington Post did an article saying, hey, you know, they did a great job of of talking about the footprint of their products, but they forgot the materials going into them. So they're not telling the whole story. So that kind of scrutiny, I think is helping to reduce greenwashing, but the auditing of performance and transparency is expensive, you know, especially in global supply chains. So, you know, what's going on in your factory in, in Vietnam or China or, or Columbia or wherever it might be is a bit challenging, but it, it's getting better all the time.
1: Yeah, we had uh we had a, a webinar we did and Jeffrey Whitford from Millipore Sigma came on to talk about the supply chain, you know, the sustainability in the supply chain. It's not it's not easy at all. It's really hard. Yeah. Gotta start somewhere.
0: Yeah. And the big the bigger companies in the supply chains, they can provide you the data and information, but you know, there's yeah. lots of small players in people's supply chains and that's where it gets very challenging. Yeah. And in some cases, those companies are so small, they don't have the data and information that you need, and they can't afford to collect it sometimes.
1: right? So
0: you have to be creative about how you look at the smaller players in the supply chain versus the, say, in mining, a company like Caterpillar or something like that would have, would, you know, they've got their sustainability reports, they've got their data and information on greenhouse gas emissions and these sorts of
1: things. Yeah, yeah. The study I read, it was 85% of the, Sustainability impact is in for consumer goods companies is in the supply chain. So, but that doesn't that doesn't shouldn't scare anybody away. It's something we have to uh, we certainly have to go after. And now let's let's go to product the product aspect to it, which I think is is really interesting. I mean, that's uh, tell me your thoughts around that.
0: Yeah, I think I think when we think about sustainability and products, well, people tend to use. Kind of knee-jerk criteria sometimes like if it's recyclable it's good if it's made from renewable materials it's good mm-hmm. if it's energy efficient it's good and all that's true to a certain degree but my perspective and my learnings over the years is that first of all we got to look at the full system the product system so the supply chain the materials we need to be thinking about how we consider sustainability and ideation and concept development around our products you know then we go through the this sort of the chain from production to use to end of life and you know we need to be thinking about certain attributes when we think about sustainability performance and the sustainability of the resource base is one so where are the materials coming from how are they being harvested are they being managed appropriately are they is the is the footprint as low as it can be you know so if you think about uh fiber or forest-based product, is it from a sustainably managed forest, right? Uh, If you think about a a mine and metals, is that material footprint low? Are they collaborating with communities? Are they paying fair wages? You know, these sorts of things. So we have to think about that, and and that's different for different types of materials. So fiber's different than metals, and different than plastics in terms of where the emphasis is and what we should be looking at. You know, a key aspect of the metals piece is, can we use that material in a way that it's totally recyclable, and brought back into productive use in the economy? Because they're infinitely available if we do it right. You know, there's always some dispersive losses, we call it, but for the most part, if you're using metals, you can get them back. And so design your products in a way that that can be done. So that's one thing in terms of attributes, the whole toxicity issue. So are we ensuring that we're designing out materials, uh, molecules that are causing human health concerns or ecosystem health concerns? If we can't design it out, are we ensuring that uh, there's a risk management approach that makes sure that there is an exposure and there is recovery, that sort of thing? So, toxics are an issue. I mentioned the social side of things. So, the social performance is, is, you know, environment's been probably looked at more uh, over the years, but social aspects are coming up quite a bit now. And that's about human rights in the supply chain. It's about fair wages. It's also community, uh, health and safety. Certain jurisdictions, it's, it's a lot about indigenous peoples and how the companies interact with, with them, particularly when they're rights and title holders, as we call it, they own the land. So they getting fair compensation and, and benefits agreements that, that make sense. So the whole social component is important. Then there's the, the cost piece, right? And we need to think about costs from a, a different perspective than perhaps we did before in terms of price. Right? What we need to think about is total cost of ownership. So, you know, it, in the products and parts, materials that I'm buying and putting into my product and how they're using the life cycle, are there unanticipated costs that are arising that we're not factoring into our decision-making? So a simple and classic example of this is, you know, lots of transit companies will buy big barrels of chemicals, you know, for cleaning and stuff. And then you know the workers would be moving these things and throwing their back out losing time you know those are costs associated with that product but they're not factored into the price right or labeling costs or other waste related costs that are out there and then the other thing about cost is the cost of the resources so are we looking at the what economists call the externalities so you know the greenhouse gas emissions which are starting mm-hmm. to be priced around the world but you know up until uh, fairly recently it was like you know you can put stuff in the air for free same with water are we looking at those life cycle costs in an appropriate way and then the main the final attribute that i talk to my students about is is the product work is it fit for purpose yeah right? Yeah. You know, is, yeah. it, is it delivering the goods in terms of what we want it to do? You know, you can think about all those other things, but if it's not fit for purpose, you're going to fail, so to speak, in terms of your sustainability effort. So that's a lot. It's complex. Yeah. You know, and you have to have, like, the tools and the right people to ask the right questions with the right data availability to make good decisions. And that's a battle we, we fight every day
1: yeah yeah so so in your in your your company then as a consultant when you go into another company where do you start there's there's so much right how do you decide where to start
0: we have to start where they are yeah so we need to understand how they see the world and where they see the risks and opportunities so typically we would ask as a first step to interview internal stakeholders. So if it's a a product, you know, the head of design and the people responsible for materials and marketing and other players that affect that product system and start to get a picture of, okay, where where do you see things? The other thing is to bring the world to them. So going out and looking at what's happening in their marketplace, uh, what are their competitors doing? What are academics, regulators talking about around their product system as as directionally where things need to go? Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the technology space like in terms of innovation? Uh, and bring that data and information together to discuss with them, okay, here's here's how you see the world, here's what we know about the world outside of you. and and sometimes we talk to suppliers and customers and interview them as well. And the customer piece is, pay that, you know, companies pay attention.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's the starting point. Yeah. And then that leads to a discussion about what do we do about it?
1: Yeah. Then you create your journey and your map and, and, and off you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there's options there that, you know, I, my approach is not to tell people how to think it's to give them information that changes or gives them the ability to think differently. Right. And so, you know, we present options around, well, if you want to be a leader and fully integrate sustainability into your strategy and strategic planning and business planning and core business processes, understand that that is, a, is a, it's a bit of heavy lift at the start, right? There's other ways you can look at this. You can look at it as, you know, I'm going to do what my market's telling me. And meet all the market expectations that are out there, or you can start to go into your value chain and say, "Okay, I'm going to engage with customers and suppliers and others to look for opportunities to reduce energy, reduce costs, reduce emissions and waste, and, and use materials more efficiently." That sort of thing. So there's there's a there's a gradation, and yeah. you know, we we put that up in front of people and say, "Okay, well, where do you want to where do you want to be?" Now most people want to be leaders, but many of them recognize, okay, that's going to take time and effort. So let's start at kind of engaged. And usually when we look at companies, they do that. There's pockets of the organization that is already engaged with other players. And that becomes a sort of platform for uh, looking at leadership in the future. So as you say, it's a journey.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, it, it is. Yeah, I had a recent guest, Tammy Reese. She's a product leadership coach. And she, she said, her, she had three questions. Where do you want to be? Where are you? And where next? And that was yeah. just running through my mind. It's exactly, exactly what you just said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The where you want to be is a pretty good question. Yeah. The model that I use is a kind of like, you know, you have to have the awareness, but then you need to talk about the vision. Like where, where do you want to be? Right? yeah and the awareness and the, and the choice on strategy then you can start to envision a future where sustainability factors are better integrated into how you operate and then you can kind of backcast to today and start to look at okay where do I need to make changes what are the priorities to get me from today to tomorrow and it's like it's not rocket science that it's it's a kind of approach that's used in a lot of Uh, companies, a lot of scenario planning type exercises are like that, but it's important to be able to do it. I just had an experience where I worked at a company where we didn't do that upfront awareness. So there was always questioning, why are we doing this again? Why? Okay. You don't get going.
1: Yeah, Yeah. you keep coming back. Yeah, 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 it holds you back. Good point. Very good point. Well, I have to say, congratulations on becoming an adjunct professor. That's a real achievement. How how did you? How did you get connected into the university?
0: Initially, through a guest lecture. So there was a course on life cycle assessment. I, I was sort of known for that in in the area where I live. And professionally. And so I was invited in to talk about that. That course ended up changing to a industrial design and sustainability course. And, uh, the woman who was running it invited me in for a lecture again. And at the end of the lecture, she said, I'm about to have a baby. I'm not going to be able to do this course anymore. Would you be interested? So, nice. I, you know, I'm at the stage in my career where I'm looking for opportunities to give back and I'm looking for opportunities to make a difference even more than I tried to do in my work. And you're working with these design students who have different skill set than me. You know, I, I facilitate sustainability and design. They do the design.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Um, and so they bring this great knowledge base to the table and it leads to some really interesting discussions. And it feels good to be able to do that. So I taught as a kind of what they call a contract instructor for a few years, and then the faculty, and this is, was great to see, was starting to think about how do we better integrate sustainability into all of our curricula? So that's when they they asked me to be an adjunct professor and a bit more involved in uh, some of the planning stuff that, that's been going on. And I like to do more of that in the future, but it's great. There's, you know, there's sustainability elements in the, in the design 101 course, in the manufacturing course. So that's really nice to see. And, and I think that's true for a lot of professional schools. So engineering, business schools, we've seen a, a more significant integration of sustainability into those professional groups.
1: For excellent, and you've acc- second congratulations because you you were recognized as a member of Canada's Clean Sixteen. Yeah, yeah, for your contributions. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah that that group is interesting. That was back in two thousand and twelve when they first initiated. So this uh, a group called Delta Management Company, and they wanted to have this award for people that are. Contributing to clean capitalism, so they set up a process, and you know people had to be nominated, and then they evaluated the nominees, and then they award that designation. So there's a Clean Fifty, and there's a Clean Sixteen. The Clean Fifty are the people that are all nominated, and are, and the Sixteen are the winners in different categories. Uh-huh. So I was the honoree, I guess is a better. Yeah, way to there say you it. go. Yeah in the corporate social responsibility category which is what we called sustainability for a little while
1: fantastic
0: and so that was great and and they've gone on they're still going strong there's uh, you know 50 people every year that are acknowledged leaders and given awards and they host meetings and they work on issues um so it's a nice it's a nice cadre of people to be associated with
1: definitely definitely Well, Kevin, this has been fantastic. I'm, I'm almost at the edge of my seat because it's just such a fun, fascinating topic. And you've, you've shared so much with us. Uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on to our, our show to share all that wealth of knowledge, experience. Uh, It's been great.
0: Well, Paul, I I really appreciate the opportunity. And I, I, I love to talk about the work that we did. I think there's and are doing because I think there's lots of lessons and there's lots of people struggling with, you know, how to do things better. And I, 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 was saying to somebody, uh, on LinkedIn in the chat about, you know, we need more collaboration. You know, we need more people sharing their knowledge and information in the consulting world. It's, it, you know, you tend to be a little bit uh, closed in terms of your intellectual property right. and stuff like yeah, that. But, yeah. uh, you know, time for that is over. We need, we need to collaborate. We've got some serious challenges ahead and, and yeah. uh, we got lots of smart people and lots of good experience. So, my students ask me about hope all the time. You know, what do you think about the future? And I'm like, you know, if we can land somebody on the, a vehicle on Mars with a little helicopter on its back, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we can do anything.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, very good. And uh, if people want to follow you and kind of keep keep track, what's the best way?
0: Uh, you can search uh, for me on LinkedIn. I think that's good. Uh, if anybody wants to send me an email, it's a bit long-winded. My apologies.
1: Well, we'll put it in the show notes. I think okay. we have it. So check the show. We'll have, make sure we have links in the show notes to your LinkedIn and your email and both are okay for you, right?
0: Yeah. And people can give me a call as well. That's
1: Great. Fine. Great. Yeah. We'll put all the contact details for sure. And again, I, I thank you so much, Kevin. It's been a real fun uh, discussion and keep going, have fun right. and keep going. Cause you're, you're, you're impacting the world, which is, most rewarding thing i think a person can do
0: yeah i I should say I've, i've been looking at your website and the and the work that you're doing and one of the challenges we've had in the past is having the tools and the data to make better decisions and and looking at uh accolade uh your innovation work and integration of sustainability into that with companies like novellas it's fantastic so kudos to you as well
1: well, thank you. Yeah, we're all, we all have a piece of it. We just keep moving it forward. All right, Kevin, you have a great week, and uh, thanks again. Bye, Paul. To you, our listeners, I, I hope you found that uh, as, as fun as I did, really, really, really great conversation with Kevin. I'm so grateful that he, he stopped by, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I wish you a great week ahead. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.